joints. All right, John, okay. read for us and pray for us, and we'll get into it this morning. Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord, Luke 14, 12 through 24. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go to and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful, Lord, uh, even for this heat, for this sun, Lord. Thank you for this, this room, this building that you've given us to gather in, Lord, that we can fellowship, and most of all, we can hear your word and we can worship you. We ask, Lord, that as we continue on through the summer, whether we have kids out of school or whether we are visiting relatives or taking vacations or what have you, Father, that we, we always remember, Father, to put you first, that we would be hungry for you each and every day, that we would yearn to spend time with you, that we would, um, we would take what Lawrence said this morning and that it would resonate, Father, with mm -hmm. the fact that we cannot please others. Father, we are sinners, Lord, and you have come and you have saved us through your grace and grace alone, Lord. Please give Jonathan the words. Help us to hear them. Help, uh, help the words to sit on our hearts, Father. Help us to meditate on, on you day and night. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Johnny. The church is for those we least expect, and that is good news. So the church, the kingdom that Jesus has brought to bear is for those that we wouldn't expect it to be for, and that is good news for us. So many of you know we just got back from vacation, and um, I was telling Joey earlier, I prefer to just live my life as vacation rather than actually take vacations, but we had a good time. And on vacation, one of the kids, uh, Adia in particular, requested to see snow. So why not, in the middle of July, go somewhere where you could see snow? And my in-laws discovered that on Mount Hood in Oregon, there is still snow. And they actually have a ski season that goes through the end of August, which is really crazy. It's like 75, 80 degrees at the base of the mountain, but it's cold and there is snow on the top of the mountain. And once, you know, to get to that snow, once you're on the mountain, you have to ride what's called like the Miracle Mile or something like that. It's a mile-long ski lift. What? 
magic mile. And so this is a, a picture of us. I wasn't ready for the picture, but Roger spoiled it. But you can't really zoom in, but I'll describe it, right? So this is, that's the start of this ski lift, and it takes you. But it is very high off the ground. And there is not, there's not 20 feet of snow like there typically would be in the regular season to catch you if you were to fall. There's just hard ground and rock below you, and it's windy up there, so it, it moves around, and it's pretty crazy. You should know that as an individual, I tremendously dislike heights, right? It's, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but when it comes to heights, it feels pretty close to him actually doing that. And even to the point where the older kids were in the cart before us, and they told my in-laws that, oh, yeah, dad is totally freaking out right now. And dad was totally freaking out. And to make the experience all the more harrowing, as you can see in the picture, we brought Adia's wheelchair because um, it's far easier to move her in the wheelchair than her walker in some of these crazy places. And we got to ride with the wheelchair on the ski lift. But to get the wheelchair and us in it, um, there was not enough room with the wheelchair there to bring down the safety bar that usually would sit on our lap and to hold us. And you should know that as we're loading and they're putting on that and not able to get it down, my dear wife looks at the operator and says, we'll be fine. <laughs> we're, still, we're working on it. Don't worry. But you have to know, I was freaked out. You can even see Stacy's like holding Adia like, and tell a nine-year-old not to move, you know. Um, good luck. But if you could, you can't really zoom in, but you can see my face. That's like blue steel, right? I was, yeah, it was, I walked down, you should know. I hiked the mile down with my father-in-law, and that was far better. But in the midst of that, it's like that feeling of, like, I do not belong here, right? And in that sketchy place, there's a fear to it. There's just, like, I'm a big person. That would hurt to fall, right? But I bring this up not just because I want you to know that we went to Mount Hood. You can take that hideous picture of me. The puffy jacket and pink shorts, like, that was a look. That's, that's how I represent you in Oregon, right? But I bring it up because that, that sense of, like, I don't belong here, I think that sometimes can be a feeling we have in being part of the church. Like there, there can be moments in life where it's like, man, I'm freaked out. I don't have the guardrail to hold on to what is going on. And I've been spending some of the summer in light of preaching at Antioch City Church next week. And they just asked to say, what is the church about? Who is the church and so I've been thinking about it, and even for us at Reservoir Church, as we long to build the church and hopefully create an environment that has fewer of those fear of heights moments in the experience of worshiping Jesus together. And today we are revisiting a parable that we looked at not all that long ago in our study of Luke's gospel that I think paints a picture of the kingdom, of the church, that we just mustn't neglect. We can't just leave what Jesus says and go about our own devices and our own strategy. So just a, a quick context of what's happening in Luke's gospel. Obviously, he's telling the story of Jesus' ministry in Judea, his teaching, the healings that are happening. And Luke's giving it from uh, a fairly Greek perspective, a worldly perspective, looking in at what Jesus is doing. And in Luke 14 itself, Jesus 
is spending some time sticking it to the ruler of the Pharisees. He's the guy that is hosting this big party and dinner, and he's leading the religious elite of the day. And it was this man who, in hosting this dinner party that Jesus is attending, is um, served up some correction from Jesus. Because it's just an, an evening where the who's who is there because this hot new rabbi has arrived in town, and so they want to hear from him and be around him, and they want to challenge him. And Jesus will confront their expectations of the kingdom of God over this meal and through this experience. And as God's people, right, those of Judaism were set apart for his glory, and these leaders... The religious elite had missed the melody that had been playing all along in the story of God's people, that the kingdom would be for everyone who would worship God. And even in their occupation, they become a people that oppress others, that reject, and here even try to catch Jesus slipping. So he corrects them, but more than that, he gives us a vision for the banquet that is the church, the meal, the gathering, the feast that is to be the reflection of the kingdom, the church, us as we gather. And so I think there's five characteristics of those that this kingdom, this church are for. And I know that's a lot of points, but we're going we're gonna to fly through them. And we want to start with that it is for those that are in need of a feast. So we have our first picture, which is um, an empty plate, I think. No food. All I bring to the table is my plate. Sometimes I don't even bring a plate. But just before the parable, Jesus tells the host that when you give a dinner or a banquet, that you should not invite people that have the capability of hosting their own feast, but instead you should invite those that are in need and that cannot repay you for the feast that you provide for them. Because repayment will come in the resurrection. So it's differently ordering like the um, jockeying for privilege and power and the I, I'll serve you scratch your back you scratch mine environment of the day and it's saying actually you just give yourself away that you serve others invite those that can't repay you and he mentions them which he will again in the parable with a very distinct lift our list of people the poor the crippled the lame and the blind and the these are those without resource, and it's not just that they are hungry, but that they cannot provide what is needed in themselves for the banquet. The Pharisees in this moment count on their position or their parenting for entry into the kingdom, but the kingdom is for those that can't afford it. This makes me think of uh, recovery programs, and what is always the first step in any recovery program? Admitting that you have a problem right? And so we know as believers that Romans tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all in need. And it's the recognition of that need that matters. We are incapable of relationship with our creator because of sin in ourselves, our disregard of God, and we need someone else to provide for us. At a different feast in Luke 5 at the tax collector's house, um, we see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees again before even this meal. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We look at this in light of the rest of the New Testament. We know what he's saying is like, I've come to call everyone to repentance. But here he's dealing with people who think they are righteous and have completely missed the point of the Messiah that was coming to reign over them. So the church is not a place to merely level up. It is for those that need salvation, that need life, purpose, and hope. And the quicker we are to carry ourselves humbly in light of that reality, the closer we are to what Jesus says the church is. The church must be a place of humble dependence on Jesus. And this is who he invites into the kingdom. Those that do not have the credit for it. And there's a second characteristic. It's those that bring their mess. We have a picture of luggage. So it's baggage, right? So we we all bring baggage. We bring our mess. And diving now into the parable, there was a man who gave a great banquet, Jesus tells this dinner party of people. And we wonder why he uses a banquet as a description. And well, for one, they're just in the midst of a banquet. So that makes sense to describe the setting. But it is also the imagery that they were supposed to pick up on. It's even in Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah 25, it says, On this mountain, the, the, describing the mountain when the Messiah comes, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. It's this description of the party that is life with the Messiah. And this is the kingdom what they're supposed to notice and so when he talks about a banquet they should trigger in their minds oh this is what our future is and in this story the great man invites many to feast with him now just think of first century times it's customary to receive two invitations to a banquet there would be the first to let you know that a banquet was going to eventually happen you were going to be invited and you should be honored that you are invited to this banquet and then there's a second invitation when the servants came and let you know that the feast was actually ready that the food was on so you should come now and enjoy the banquet and we have to understand that the kingdom especially for his first audience in this moment works exactly the same way because there's a double invitation the teaching and the prophets make clear that the kingdom is coming that the banquet would have well-aged wine and rich food Just think of our study of the book of Numbers. Everything is pointing forward to a perfect temple, to a perfect king, to a perfect leader. And so all that's to build up is that first invitation that a meal is going to happen. It outlines life and preparation as God's people, and they were to live with that vision of a coming feast. But now the food is ready. So the Messiah has come, and he calls them in. Yet those invited make excuses. One says, I bought a field. Another says, I bought five yoke of oxen. And my favorite excuse, I married a wife. Right? And I think a couple of things are at play in this rejection of the invitation to come to the banquet. The the first two excuses had to do with material possessions and the third with affections, right? Possessions and affections cover virtually every reason by which men and women give their regrets to the kingdom. 
And so it's essentially just us finding meaning in other things. And it's a, a way of idolatry to use that church word of just like looking to other things for what only God can provide us. And you have to understand they're not bad things. Property is good. Marriage is good. But they are terrible reasons to miss Jesus and his kingdom. Lawrence said this week, how many excuses, just thinking about how many excuses we give ourselves, not realizing why while we are attending to the good things, we trade away the better things, the best thing. But I also see something else at play here. It's not just the idolatry that leads to rejection, but the rejections and excuses are letting life in the circumstances of it or people knowing about life circumstances to keep you from the banquet. Think of the stranger that says, well, I'll come to church once I get my life ordered or get it all cleaned up. And it's not dissimilar to those that are in need, but I want to make a distinction between the need for salvation and the need for Jesus to renovate my heart and my life. And here's the truth. Keeping up appearances will kill you out there and certainly in here, in the church. It will lead you to reject the church, which is meant to be a community that is set to carry each other through the difficulty of life. Paul will tell the Galatian church, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what a neglected imperative of Scripture. We just leave that off. The truth is no one will bear these burdens with me unless they know that I have burdens. And we bear with one another because Jesus bore our burdens, living a life of perfect obedience before God in our place and taking on the cross that our sin deserves. Because he did that for me, then I can stand with you through the difficulty of life, looking to him for hope and for help. The master is imploring his servant to bring people. And many of these guests are called from the streets and they're not being cleaned up in this moment, and they just show up, and they show up in their mess. And oh, that the church would be a place where people could just come in their mess of life. As Lawrence talked about it, our call to worship, that you just come as you are. No expectation of perfection, because we realize we're all in need. We're all going to be jacked up. And I can't get any help if I hide my mess from you. Church is meant to be a place to apply shame-killing grace. And when we bring our mess, the real things of our life that we face and struggle through, we will be surprised of the resources in the church that are there to help us through it. More people will have experienced the exact same thing than we realize when we bring our mess to church. The church is for those that bring their mess. Do not deny the body the opportunity to care for you leads to death. So number three, the church is for those that are unseen. That's a really creepy picture, but I typed in invisible people and that's what came up, right? So in the story, the excuse, maker, the excuse makers won't come and the master tells the servant to go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in, here's a list again, the poor, the crippled and blind and lame. We often spiritualize that list, which is, is not necessarily a bad thing. I think, oh, well, I'm spiritually crippled, right? And that's how we apply it. But Jesus uses the list describing real people, not metaphorical people. 
those that are undervalued, the, the property society, proper society prefers to not see. And I promised I was going to use a little thing that happened with Julie earlier as an illustration because it was so perfect. She is a Swifty, so she went to a Taylor Swift concert, but it's driving through Englewood to get there, and there's all kinds of people, and some that we would label as unseen, that society does, it just prefers to ignore. And she even was describing, and she said, and there were even prostitutes. And she whispered it. But that's, that she's just been really well-trained by our culture that we just don't say prostitutes out loud or even with elevated voices in the church, right? But that's how we approach so many people, the exact people that Jesus is saying, this is who you should invite to the banquet. And we could probably expand this list to match our cultural moment. And Julie is not, I'm not criticizing her, by the way. It's just a perfect example of how we like to keep things clean, right? But we could expand that list to match our moment. But it makes clear that the church is for the least. Like, do you, do you get that sense? That the church is for those that are the outcasts in the society that would not have been invited to this Pharisee's banquet. And through it all, the kingdom is always upside down, opposite of what the culture, even of God's people, expected to be. And this heralded kingdom is for the least, the dirty, the poor, the brokenhearted. And this is who Jesus' ministry actually reaches. And we just we like skip over it. We neglect that reality of the dusty, gravel nature of Christ's ministry when he is here in his incarnated form before all of humanity of who he serves, who he runs after. The truth is we can get so focused on the business, on the brand, that we are prone to neglect the people Jesus indicated the church was actually for. And he's commanding that nobody's be welcomed into the feast. This was a culture that despised the broken and the unclean. And he says, yeah, those are the ones that you should celebrate with. Those are the ones that you put out the good china for. That you get the good silver that you actually have to polish after you use it. They should share the good wine with you. One author says about handicapped in the language in the original Greek. Jesus told his Pharisee host he should have a banquet for disabled persons rather than for relatives and rich friends. Then he would receive God's blessings. And this disabled, the disabled should participate fully in our churches. God welcomes the disabled with their special gifts into the kingdom. Like, this isn't meant to be an added program when we have the capacity we can serve certain populations of people. The unseen are an essential in the church. Do you notice in verse 22, uh, Jesus says, these guys have rejected, they've given regrets. And then here, um, Jesus says, go and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, right? And the servant says, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. These people that Jesus lists are foundational to the church. That it would be a place for them 
to belong, to have community, to be loved, served, and to worship Jesus with others in the midst of life. And this, for us at Reservoir, informs our efforts toward inclusion in a disability ministry that serves broader populations in our city, that we'd be creating a space for everyone to feast on the goodness of the Lord in community. And that that don't mean setting aside like our preference, like, okay, I don't want an expressive child that is nonverbal, like, oh, that can be a distraction. Who gives a rip about distractions? You don't, you don't remember 98.99% of what I say anyway, so who cares if somebody distracts you in the middle of it, right? right? Most of us are parents, like, we live distracted. It's okay, but we're still valued to have community, and we should do that for our friends that come. They can taste the goodness of God in community. And we want to be a community that always is determining to see and to love those that the world says we just shouldn't see. And that category can be huge. It can be single mothers. It can be homeless. It can be prostitutes. And when the unseen are part of the church, I think the community becomes compelling. That's number four. And there's... Still room at the banquet, one writer says, he tells his servant to find the most disreputable people of all, those standing around in the highways and near fences who are begging for assistance and known as vagabonds. The areas outside the city would have been inhabited by outcast groups, ethnic groups, tanners, traders, beggars, prostitutes who required access to the city but were not allowed it to live in, in that city. So, uh, friends, I am convinced when the church is a place for those in need that bring their mess in real life and for the unseen, the presence of Jesus will be undeniable and compelling to those longing and looking for hope. The banquet gives us a vision for a church that smells like Jesus, and we want more to meet him. And it's our mission to make him known, is it not? Right? In Matthew 28, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That we bring this kingdom everywhere we are and it's what's actually empowering in life because the one with all authority says he is with us that this house is meant to be filled the church is for those that follow jesus and invite others to follow him too we read or we don't read we listen to audiobooks when we have long drives together and so one of the books that we finished on this trip was prince caspian in the narnia series from c.s lewis and there is this uh, scene where Lucy in Prince Caspian, it's early in the book, but the children have been brought back into Narnia. They're not sure why, but there's a dwarf that tells them about this battle that's happening with the Telmarines and all that. I'm giving away more than you need to know. But hundreds of years have passed since the original children, the high king and king and queen and queen, come back into Narnia. And so they are not sure of the way because the landscape has changed. And Lucy, the youngest, she's always the one that sees Aslan, the, the great lion. And he tells her in this scene to follow him and to bring the others with her. And 
the older kids and their dear little friend, the dwarf, haven't been able to see Aslan yet in the story. And Lucy is concerned that they won't believe her um, this time when she goes and says, Aslan has said we need to follow him. And Aslan in this moment tells her that she is to follow him no matter what, if the others see him or not, and she is just to follow him. And she convinces them to wake up and to go, and eventually one by one they see Aslan. And so, friends, we follow Jesus with the hope that others around us will see him, but whether they see him or not, we are to follow him. And we follow him in inviting those that he says should be invited to his great banquet, and that's the point of the church. So we're a compelling people, and finally the church is for those that want to be with the master. I'm stretching the text a bit here, but nobody's going to fire me, so I don't care. It was a joke. You can laugh. Right? The elders are taking notes. But I think those that come to the banquet want to be in the presence of the master. And he, he's still inviting us today, isn't he? Jesus in his ministry in Matthew 11, he's declaring woe on unrepentant cities that won't come to him, that are rejecting the invitation into the kingdom. And he says to his disciples, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the perfect moment for Jesus to say, you have to earn your way to me. But he doesn't. Because God's compassion, his mercy is never earned, but it is given. And you miss it if you reject it. Jesus offers the kingdom, a perpetual feast of peace, a feast of help, of guidance, of friendship, of rest, of victory over self, of control of passions, of supremacy over circumstances, a feast of joy, tranquility, deathlessness, immeasurable hope of salvation. And it's all found in him. He is ours if we will just come. Because he paid the price for the meal. He lays out the feast before us. Jared Wilson, author and pastor, says he paid the highest price. He made the most extravagant provision imaginable, his own flesh and blood. There is no more costly costliness than the cross of Christ. And he did that for sinners like us. He spared no expense. He held nothing back. He gave it all that we might have it all. And to that, all he says is, come to me. The Pharisees in Luke 14 want to be around Jesus because he had fame in this moment. The full at the meal want to be around Jesus because they got a meal. But true disciples follow Jesus because they want him alone. If your way into the kingdom is coming to him, you must know ahead of time that this will be what defines you for all of eternity. Not your pedigree, not your position, not your worldly power, but the person of Jesus. The essence of being a disciple of Christ is unreserved commitment to him. And this involves holding loosely everything else that attempts to take his place. Because he is the treasure. Friends, the church is not meant primarily 
for a, pro, a political program. It is not meant only for moral training or advice on getting ahead in business or perpetuating a religious enterprise. It is meant to be a place to meet and follow Jesus shoulder to shoulder with others in need of a feast that are living their mess of life before others to see and be cared for that brings in unseen neighbors as a compelling glimpse of the kingdom. And the church is for those that we least expect, and that's good news because it's for us. We are the ones that are outside the gate, that are outside the city, that have been compelled to come in to sit and have a feast that the master has provided for us. So rejoice and invite somebody to sit with you, to enjoy fellowship in the fullness that is Christ for all of life. These last several weeks, I've been, I've been going to physical therapy. I'm getting so old, you guys. I've got a colonoscopy on Friday. Pray that maybe too much. I bring my mess of life. Here it is, right? But I've found physical therapy, therapy to be a lot like this banquet. And I love it. I, always, I go in, and there's always a lightness in the room. There's joking. There's a joy in the place. There's a, a few doctors there that are experienced and know stuff. And they are encouraging the patients along. But you have to understand, everybody that's there is broken, right? We bring our pain with us, and we are all getting better together. And it's a picture of the church, a banquet that is essentially just practice for the feast of Christ's return, where we look at the table that will be expansive and full of people that we would never expect. May it be so in us. Would you pray with me? Good and holy God, we thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a picture of who you have determined your kingdom to be for. Lord, we repent of ways that we've tried to change the list of going after certain populations that we think we could reach that would drive numbers or fame or other things and we just come and we say lord we want to be obedient to what you you have described the church to be that we would be a church for the unseen in our city that gives of ourselves that others might meet you and that we do it because we desire you and you alone would you work it in us for your glory because it is truly our greatest good in Jesus' name.